Hi, and welcome to episode, oh, let's call it 57 of Five Minutes of Rum. Notes on rum, a few minutes at a time. My name is Kevin Updegrove. Today's episode features two instances of Santeria rum from Rational Spirits, plus a look at the technology behind that rum as provided by our friends at Lost Spirits. You'll remember them from a couple of previous episodes, one of which featured their Cuban-inspired 151 rum, and another one that featured their Polynesian-style uh, rum. And then lastly, I'll make my tribute to the Atomic Grog's tribute to the Maikai's Black Magic called The Dark Side. So Rational Spirits' Santeria rum is a bit of an evolving uh, product, but let's take a look at it at this point in time, uh, which as of the recording this episode is June of 2016. Uh, Santeria is a, it's a relatively new rum from, like I said, Rational Spirits, Rational Spirits based in South Carolina, and it's made in conjunction with Brian Davis of Lost Spirits. Uh, it's the first external product using Lost Spirits' proprietary technology for producing rums that includes their rapid aging technology. Um, and first and foremost, before I get into the rum, uh, even before I get into tasting the rum, I want to thank uh, Cyrus Fotovat. I hope I didn't mispronounce his last name, but Cyrus gifted me the bottle of the prototype version of the Santeria rum uh, at the September 2015 Forbidden Island parking lot sale in, uh, in Alameda. Um, at the time, Cyrus uh, hailed from Paper Plane, a San Jose cocktail bar. Uh, I believe he may have moved to uh, a different job since then, but uh, check out his photos on Instagram. I have a link in the show notes. And, and thank you again, Cyrus. Uh, it took me longer to get to this bottle and feature it than I expected to, but I'm glad now that I have a chance to compare the original rum, um, the one that you uh, provided for me, to the current production rum and see you know, how, what, how it changed from its initial run. So let's get into the rum itself and do a side-by-side -side comparison. So um, for the Santeria rum, um, in appearance, the bottle I have, um, it's a nice clear bottle that shows off the liquid inside. The label has a wax stamp and a few particulars like batch and bottle number, ABV, and the master distiller is on there uh, twice. Um, the There's an AB over top of the name Brian Davis. On the production bottle I have, is, is very similar, but it has a synthetic cork uh, where the prototype had like a plastic stopper. And the color on the label is a bit more faded and the particulars have changed, of course, because some of the things have changed with the rum itself. Now note, at the time of this episode being recorded, the label has undergone yet another change, so the bottles you'll find on the shelf will likely have a white label with purple lettering. Uh, I don't have one of those yet, or I'd put up a photo uh, for comparison, but we'll refer to it as um, the prototype and the current production version. Um, batch 12, so some of the differences in the label, you'll see like on one of them, batch 12 versus uh, batch 1. 46 ABV on the current production uh, rum versus the 57.5 ABV um, and then you know the bottle number like bottle 113 um, and then the new label only has AB for the distiller now the rum itself uh, in the current production version it's a lighter shade um, of the rum the prototype rum is an opaque almost oily looking rum um, you can't really see through the bottle even when you're looking at it through the light uh, the current version the production version is a dark maple in color uh, but you can see light through it. So it's it's uh, got a little bit more transparency, whereas the uh, prototype rum, you really couldn't see through. Uh, and the same holds true in the glass, uh, which stands to reason because they're both in clear bottles, so they should behave the same out of the bottle. Uh, both rums, uh, when swirled, form a razor-thin line up on the glass. Uh, the 46, I found, gives way to legs a bit quicker, and the 57 is a little bit more clingy. Um, aroma, for aroma, the 57, um, very nutty, uh, a mild burn on the nose because of the higher ABV probably. Um, it smells of aging. Um, it smells of, don't call it rotten, but aging fruit. Um, and immediately, immediately it made me think of other Lost Spirits rums. So it has shared, no shared notes of their styles of rums that were previously on the market. 
And at the tail end of the last sip, um, I started to pick up some syrup notes on the nose as well. Um, the 46, the current production version, is more subtle. Um, some notes that invoke the idea of aging, uh, like some vanilla and some mustiness and a little bit of spice. Now, tasting these rums, uh, as you might expect with different ABVs, uh, different experience tasting-wise, even if it is the same sort of... Uh, it's it's the same sort of style of rum. It's the same, you know, it's got shared DNA, so it's going to be very similar, but they are a little bit different. The 57, I found that to be uh, warm and spicy on the tongue, some sarsaparilla, definitely not too sweet, um, and then more of that nuttiness that I got on the uh, on the nose and a very good mouthfeel. It's a, a heavier-bodied spirit. Uh, it seems to have some aging characteristics um, as a part of it, but it doesn't taste for instance, like a spirit that was in a single barrel, so it doesn't taste uh, heavily woody um, and just took on that that barrel characteristic, so it doesn't really taste like that, but it does have the characteristics of a spirit that has aged for a while. Uh, it also doesn't feel, to me, harsh and sipping, even at 115 proof. Um, you'll get some heat, but it doesn't really wreck your palate. Now, the 46, uh, which is the one I have in front of me right now, um, certainly cooler on the palate because it's... Um, and when I refer to, I probably should have mentioned, when I call it the 46 or the 57, I'm referring to the ABVs. Um, or, so interchange 46 with the current production version. Anyways, uh, definitely cooler on the palate on the production version um, and unsurprisingly some very similar tasting notes. Again, sarsaparilla, spice, and a good mouthfeel. Still still has that chewiness, that bodiness to it. Uh, slightly lighter body um, and a little bit drier, I think, than the, uh, than the 57. Um, Finish-wise, the 57 to me had a real slow finish, which worked well for me. That's probably why I enjoyed it as a sipper. Uh, the rum really sort of changed over time, which leads to having more complexity to it. So at the first sip, I didn't really notice much of a finish. But as the second sip wrapped up, um, I started to realize, oh, hey, there's you know that glow in the back of your throat as it works its way down. So for me, that was um, it, was, it, was it worked really well as a sipping rum. The 46, I find this one to have a little bit less of a finish. Um, it led to eventually some dryness in the mouth, a little bit of a medicinal note. Uh, that dryness is a little bit like a tannin, like what you get from red wine, um, but not as much of that lingering warmth that you got from the uh, the prototype, the the 57. So to sum up, the 57 to me sounds like a rum uh, or seems like a rum that has the complexity of an aged spirit without tasting exactly like an old bourbon barrel. Um, it's challenging as a sipper, so keep it for your friends that want to try something outside of something like a Diplomatico. So your more adventurous rum friends, this is one that you want to share with them. Like the Lost Spirits rums, um, it also seems like it would be a very fun mixing rum. Um, it's not going to take a back seat because it's bold and has a lot of flavor to it. Uh, that said, since this isn't a production version, um, I'll probably keep the bottle in the collection and then share that with friends rather than mixing with it because that'll probably drain it too quickly and then I can't replace it. Um, the 46 to me seems to be designed for mixing. So you knock down the proof a little bit. It makes it a little easier to work with. Uh, it'll probably be a little bit more team oriented than the prototype, but still be distinctive because it still has those other flavors that, that make it unique to itself and will probably work well when deployed with other flavors. Um, and then friends of the, uh, friend of the show, Steve, uh, suggested using the, uh, Santeria 40, or excuse me, yeah, the prototype, the current, sorry, not the prototype, the current version. Um, with Smith and Cross in the Ancient Mariner cocktail, and that did work well, uh, especially if you really like unsubtle flavors, because you're going to get Smith and Cross, you're going to get the Santeria flavors, and then you're going to get the allspice and the grapefruit and the lime juice. But it worked really well. So, and then uh, just for fun, um, while I'm rambling on, I did also um, during tasting compare this to the Lost Spirits Navy 68 rum. So that's their naval inspired rum at 68 proof. Um, I grabbed that, did a comparison. The color kind of falls in between the two Santeria rums. 
Uh, the Lost Spirits Navy Rum has much more burn on the nose, duh, because it's, um, you know, <laughs> it's a higher proof, 68, and it tends to overshadow the other notes of the aroma. Um, I also did get some of that rancio that is associated with Lost Spirits, that sort of uh, feeling that you you get that's common across the spirits that they're producing that's really um, a really nice aroma. Um, it's you know, obviously a little bit more challenging as a sipper when it's 136 proof, so go slow. Um, aside from the heat, there's shared elements in the body, uh, excuse me, the body and the overall mouthfeel. Uh, there's a little bit of palate fry on sipping the 68. Um, I got some pepper and some leather notes, um, but definitely if you sip too much of an overproof rum, it'll start to really wreck your mouth a little bit. That's what I'm calling palate fry. I don't know if that's a term, but it works for me. Uh, so you'll you want to go slow and you'll only get a little ways through before it just starts to to ruin you. Don't don't start tasting with the higher proof rums. Um, and so I can appreciate overall the shared lineage, but once you move past the distinctive aroma, the two rums, the Navy and the Santeria, really start to diverge. Uh, you can identify, you know, definitely like I said before, shared DNA, uh, but they're not twins. Um, and the good news is it's a different rum to try, though. If you want a replacement for the Lost Spirits Navy, I would say the Santeria isn't exactly it. That might have been the longest tasting segment ever on this show. Um, sorry about that. Well, I'll trim it down next time. Um, so history and production of this rum. Santeria, as I mentioned up the top, it's produced by Rational Spirits using technology and know-how from Brian Davis from Lost Spirits. Rational Spirits is based in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, this first batch of rum that I was calling the 57 or the prototype was an addition of 500 bottles, and it's described as a pot-stilled dunder pit-style rum made from molasses. That usually equates to a heavy-bodied, aroma-packed rum, um, and so far their story checks out. Uh, Brian's experimentation is trying to bring the dunder pit into the lab, so the, that part of it, before we get to the, the aging technology, let's talk about his experimentation in, in actually recreating a dunder pit. So remember from episode 44 um, that some Jamaican rums use what's called dunder as their yeast source, excuse me, yeast source. Dunder is the liquid that's left over from a distillation that still contains yeast from the last batch. Uh, pit refers to the location of said leftover liquid. So Brian is applying the same principle here as he did with Lost Spirits. To quote uh, Brian from an article on a mountain of crushed ice, um, which I have linked in the show notes, Santeria, this is a quote, Santeria reproduces this process in the lab using bacteria that have never been used in rum fermentation before. These bacteria, excuse me, those bacteria were carefully selected incubated and nurtured to both survive in the new environment, but also to create an equally rich aroma and flavor profile to their Jamaican cousins, yet with completely different precursor molecules. The dense white spirit was then matured with new American oak in the Thea-1 photocatalytic reactor. The result is a whole new category of rum never seen before, end quote. And I think that last point is the key. So Brian's experimentation here is taking an existing style and creating a new one through some applied science. So it's not it's not meant to equate a different uh, that style of rum. It's meant to emulate that style of rum. Um, before we get to the technology, where to find this rum? The current production rum can be found in specialty uh, beverage stores. I picked up mine locally at K and L. Uh, if you don't see it, maybe ask for it nicely and see if they'll order it for you. Um, I think that you know, it's worth seeking out. Um, it's a definitely a unique rum. It's it's kind of a no-brainer if you were a fan of Lost Spirits before. And if you're looking for something unique to try um, and have you know a little bit of fun sipping, a little bit of fun mixing, I would definitely recommend seeking this rum out. So let's talk a little bit more about the technology behind Lost Spirits and the Santeria rum. Um, so the as mentioned in the quote from Brian, there's there's the the technology behind it is called the Thea One, Thea being 
a uh, uh, acronym for targeted hyperesterification aging, um, and it's also noted as a homonym for Thea, the Greek goddess of light. So the headline, you know, the lead, the hook is that this is the thing that will age spirits 20 years in six days. So let's dive a little bit deeper into that process. Not too deep, but a little bit deep. Um, lost spirits in the summer of 2015 found themselves pivoting a bit from producing their own line of spirits to producing the technology that would allow smaller distilleries, uh, distillers and distilleries that are just getting started to get into the business sooner than a typical you know, seven to 20 year aging process. Remember, that's why smaller distillers get into producing things like gin and rum and other spirits first. They um, they could be and probably want to be making whiskey and other aged products as well, but those take eight years to age in barrels. So typically a small business, you know, they need to sell some product to stay in business and they don't have the luxury of waiting 10 years old to make a sale um, and, you know, waiting 10 years to get a return on their investment. So the idea Lost Spirits was exploring was manufacturing and then leasing these Thea reactors to sell to distillers. Uh, for a very well-written and descriptive account of the Thea reactor itself, please click on the Cocktail Wonk article I've linked to in the show notes. It describes in very good detail um, a visit that he paid to the Lost Spirits um, uh, development area when they were developing this reactor. There's also a link to uh, Inua Kena's write-up on the same uh, technology. And I should note uh, for the record that Lost Spirits uh, last uh, last year, right after Tiki Oasis, very generously offered to give me a similar tour. Um, I just couldn't make the timing work out because of other commitments. Um, unfortunately, it would have been really cool to see. Uh, so thank you for that if you're listening, Lost Spirits. Um, I wish I could have gone, but I'm, glad, I'm fortunate to have these other write-ups that I can refer to. So check those out, links in the show notes. Now, um, so as described, this is certainly a new way of thinking about spirit production. The reactor is all about technology, tubes, and CPUs. Uh, it's heavily monitored and controlled via an iPad. Um, it's a way to develop the flavors typically achieved in a barrel and the chemical compounds, more importantly, the, the chemical elements achieved in a barrel without actually using a barrel. Uh, how do you substitute for a barrel? Uh, Why well, you use pieces of charred wood, um, and that's part of the reactor process itself. But um, speaking of it, just in terms of a technology, I don't see this as a zero-sum game. So for instance, I'm not required to have just one style of rum in my bar. I'm more inclined to make space for and talk about rums that I like and then, then see how they're made. So I happen to enjoy the rums that Lost Spirits has produced and the production methods make for interesting conversation. Uh, if I didn't care for the end product, I probably wouldn't even talk about it on here. But um, it's just an interesting, I think it's interesting to talk about how there's a different approach to getting to the same end result, even, well, I shouldn't even say same, a similar end result, a, re, a same chemical end result. Um, astute listeners will note that I haven't described the exact process of aging within the Thea reactor. Uh, it wouldn't be much of a business model if anyone could do it, right? So, you know, if every tipsy McStagger can replicate what you're doing, then it slowly becomes a commodity. Uh, but I think just looking at the tech from the periphery is pretty nifty. So if you want to get deeper into the tech, there's also a link in the show notes to a white paper. Um, again, how very technology company of them, uh, that Brian created that describes the process and the thought behind creating the, um, the Thea reactor. Um, and once again, thank you to Matt from Cocktail Wonk for his articles delving into the Lost Spirits technology. Uh, the, links, the links to his articles are in the show notes. You should probably follow his blog if you aren't already doing so. Uh, as what's new of this recording, or uh, you know, something that's new as of this recording, again, Lost Spirits has found itself integrated into Rational Spirits in South Carolina and created an entity called The Lab. So one of the first products of the lab is not a spirit, but a computer system to run the distilling process. So progress continues to march on in that area. Um, I still hold out some hope that old favorites will see the light of day again. 
Um, I think that my reserve bottle that I have of Cuban inspired 151 is my last one. Um, and I hope that it's not the last one forever. Overall, I think it's a, a very interesting approach that lost spirits and rational spirits have taken. Um, I think the the aging, you know, the rapid aging, I don't think of it as a gimmick. I think of it as a way to, you know, achieve an interesting result um, through applied technology, right? So, you, you know, barrel-aged spirits aren't going away. That's still uh, a fine avenue to pursue. But I think that's also interesting to see a different approach to get to an end product. Um, so cheers to having options and stuff. Now, before we get into the cocktail for this episode, I want to talk about the inspiration behind that cocktail. Um, and I want to start with talking about um, the site, theatomicgrog.com, uh, run by Hurricane Hayward. So if you have any interest in rum, tiki cocktails, Polynesian cocktails, you are probably already familiar with this site. But if you're not, shame on you. Pause the podcast. I'll be here when you get back. Go to the show notes. Click on the link for the Maikai Cocktail Guide and the Atomic Grog. Um, and just look at the the wealth of information that Hurricane Hayward has on his site. Um, now, to just to delve into a tiny part of it, um, I I find this a a fascinating um, research site. Uh, there's a lot of historical information. Um, this is a, a well researched uh, site. Uh, Hurricane Hayward does a great job of um, going through you know the the actual Maikai recipes, attempting to recreate them um, at home. Uh, with the, you know, however he, cause the Maikai recipes are proprietary for the most part, they're not published. And so he's going through and doing what he calls tribute recipes where he, uh, he wants to make an approximation of that using the ingredients that you can find and, and make at home. He's, uh, continually updating those things. So as he learns more and as he tastes more and continues to learn about what they're doing at the Maikai, uh, he'll go back and update, uh, recipes. He always has very, I would, I would got to call it copious notes. I just think that he has a lot of information and he's willing to share it all. So uh, definitely go here um, and you can make your own Maikai's, you know, Maikai cocktails at home. Quick sidebar on the Maikai itself. The Maikai is pretty much the last big standing tiki temple in the United States. So uh, tiki was huge in, you know, post-war America. It went through a, a very quick heyday. Um, and these palaces existed in certain parts of the company or certain part of the company, certain parts of the country. The Maikai is really the last big one that's left standing that has been in existence um, for, you know, in, in, in its entirety in this sort of environment. So uh, what am I trying to get at? Uh, Don the Beachcomber in Huntington Beach is a big also, you know, it's a tiki temple, but it started life as Sam's Seafood. So it wasn't a single entity the entire time. Uh, the the Maikai has been in existence for over 50 years in its own location, um, and it is, it's very impressive. I've been there a couple of times. Uh, the drinks are great. The The bartender that got the cocktail program started, Mariana Liquidine, he came from Dawn the Beach Corner in Chicago. He developed, you know, it's really a lot of recipes at the Maikai are descendant directly from Dawn the Beach Corner recipes because Mariana recreated those and gave him his twist when he got there. So sidebar in the Maikai. Uh, if you're in the area, definitely go and check it out because it's kind of the last of one of those things. Um, where was I? Atomic Grog and the Maikai Cocktail Guide. So yeah, that's a really great resource. Uh, if you have an interest in what we talk about on this show, then you're definitely going to want to uh, make sure that you visit that site you know, often and make those drinks because it's, really uh, it's really interesting to make them at home. Um, let's see. What else do I have on the Atomic Grog? Um, that's probably it for the notes there. Um, so specifically the black magic at the Maikai, that's one of their best known cocktails. And so I, I'd been interested in, and, you know, not only making the tribute recipe, but also potentially, you know, coming up with, uh, a, my own tribute to it, if you will. 
Uh, so the way I arrived at my version is I essentially went and looked at, obviously, um, the, the tribute version that was on the Atomic Grog. Um, I looked at uh, Colonel Tiki. Uh, he had a tribute recipe that he called, uh, if I, and there's a link in that in the show notes, it was called the Dark Magic, uh, which was a slightly different, uh, you know, so slightly different take on the recipe, but some of common elements. And then there was, um, I believe that Jeff Beach Bumberry in, uh, I think maybe I want to say 2006 or 2007, created a tribute recipe his for um, the Hukilau, and he called it the Kaliki Cooler, I believe, because uh, Christy White, Tiki Kaliki, I think that's one of her favorite drinks, so they kind of made that as a as a tribute to it as well. So basically, I listed out the ingredients for those, kind of looked at seeing what the, what's the common profile, what's the common elements, what things do I want to pull apart, and what parts do I want to add into mine to make it maybe a little bit different and maybe slightly change the profile while still staying true to what it actually was. Um, so the versions I compared, I got a, an approximation of what the profile was. Um, and then what's the name? Um, it's probably a little bit too inside baseball, but why the name the dark side? Um, it was partly inspired by a request last year when the new Star Wars movie came out. Eric October had said, have you ever tried to come up with a, a Star Wars themed drink or something in that realm? And hey, I'm drinking a lot of black magics right now. You know, is this something? So that kind of planted a seed. Um, and then partly I called it the dark side because I wanted to use an ingredient or two that I don't normally use, or in some cases outright shun, uh, like pink grapefruit. So uh, I felt like I was truly venturing to the dark side by going to great pink grapefruit. I've, I've sort of made it my hallmark to travel way too far and way out of my way to go find fresh white grapefruit. Um, but I, I wanted to, you know, use an ingredient that's a little bit more easy to find. So that was part of the inspiration for creating the, the name, the dark side as well. So enough talking about the cocktail. What's the recipe for the cocktail? Uh, to make this, you want three quarters of an ounce of orange juice, uh, fresh if you have it, three quarter ounce of fresh lime juice and fresh, only fresh. Uh, three quarter ounce of pink grapefruit juice. That should be easy enough to find fresh as well. So I'm going to insist make that fresh. Three quarter ounce of honey mix. In this case, a two to one mixture of honey to water. One and one half ounces of cold, fresh black coffee. That make that Kona coffee if you have it. That's what the Maikai uses. That's what the tribute recipe at the Atomic Garage calls for. Uh, I have found through experimentation, uh, I don't necessarily always have Kona coffee, but other uh, good fresh coffee will do. So for instance, I... I'm a subscriber to Blue Bottle Coffee, so I have regularly scheduled coffee deliveries every couple of weeks. Um, as long as I make that and it's fresh and hasn't been around for days and days, um, that actually works really well. Um, what I would say is it's more important to use a good, freshly brewed coffee than it is to necessarily have Kona. So don't, if you don't have Kona coffee, don't say you can't make this, but definitely you want to have good, uh, good, strong black coffee that's been brewed that day and then chilled down or either cold or room temperature. Anyways, moving off of coffee, one and one half ounces of dark Jamaican rum, in this case using Caruba, one and one half ounce of Santeria rum, one half ounce of grenadine, one teaspoon of falernum, and two dashes of Angostura bitters. Combine all of that in a mixing tin with one and one half cups of crushed ice, and then blend that in a spindle blender for about five seconds. Now for presentation, there will be pictures of this in the show notes, a couple different options. The traditional would be to pour that unstrained into a snifter, um, and add more crushed ice to fill that snifter up and then garnish with a twisted lemon peel. Um, an optional Star Wars heavy presentation and uh, is, is available if you have a Death Star ice ball mold for some reason. I don't know why you would, but maybe you have one or two of them laying around. Uh, to do that, you want to take the mixture that you blend flash blended in a spindle blender and you want to double strain that. So that means strain it out through a Hawthorne strainer into a fine mesh strainer uh, over the glass 
and then put that in, you know, strain that over the snifter and have that filled with fresh crushed ice. Um, then deposit the Death Star ice ball on top, uh, wrap a lemon peel in there and add in a couple of red cocktail straws. Now for tasting the cocktail, it's been years since I've had an actual black magic. Um, but as a tweak to the atomic grog tribute recipe, I think this is a pretty nice cocktail. The coffee definitely adds an already com- uh, adds another level of complexity to what is already a pretty complex mix of flavors. Um, I think in the dark side version that I created, there's a little bit less coffee flavor than the tribute recipe, probably because of swapping out the Don's mix, which is in the tribute recipe for the sweeter grenadine. Um, and admittedly, I didn't really notice the difference in using pink grapefruit juice. Um, and that pink grapefruit juice, as I mentioned, was fresh squeezed, which in the end, if I think about it, is probably better than bottled white grapefruit juice. So I'll probably be picking up a few more pink grapefruits when, and when I can't find my reliable Oro Blanco white grapefruits, um, which seems to be that I really have turned here to the dark side. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to this nerd heavy episode. Show links are up on five minutes of, on the five minutes of rum website. That's number five minutes of rum.com. The show is also on iTunes as five minutes of rum on iTunes. You can subscribe, you can rate the show and you can leave a review. Thank you. There's another new review up there that I just noticed. Thank you very much. Uh, the show is also on Twitter and Instagram as at five minutes of rum. That's the at symbol number five minutes of rum. Uh, please send any comments, corrections, feedback, or requests via the five minutes of rum website or on Twitter. And now go get some rum. <laughs>